Appreciate that round of applause for my footwear. Thank you. <laughs> Hi, everybody. Kind of quiet this morning. In terms of the person next to you, just punch him. No, no, no. Just, just say hi to the person you've been avoiding so far. Go ahead. Just. Some of you are scared to even do that now. That's good. Well, it's great. What a beautiful, weird place we live in, don't we? Yesterday was summer and today is fall. In England, we call it autumn. Everyone say autumn. Sounded like a congregation of drunk Swedish people right there. <laughs> All right, mysterious connections. Ephesians is what we are looking at. And the title for this message is You've Got It, Now Keep It. We're talking about unity. You've got it, now keep it. Ephesians chapter 4 and verse 1. Let's dive in and see what Paul says. Therefore I, a prisoner for serving the Lord, beg you to lead a life worthy of your calling, for you have been called by God. Always be humble and gentle. Be patient with each other, making allowance for each other's faults because of your love. Make every effort to keep yourself united in spirit, binding yourselves together with peace. For there is one body and one spirit, just as you've been called to one glorious hope for the future. There is one Lord, one faith, one baptism, and one God and Father who is over all and in all and living through all. However... He has given each one of us a special gift through the generosity of Christ. This is why, that is why the scriptures say, when he ascended to the heights, he led a crowd of captives and gave gifts to his people. Notice that it says he ascended. This clearly means that Christ also descended to our lowly world. And the same one who descended is the one who ascended higher than all the heavens that he might fill the entire universe with himself. Now, These are the gifts that Christ gave to the church, the apostles, the prophets, the evangelists, and the pastors and teachers. Their responsibility is to equip God's people to do his work and build up the church, the body of Christ. This will continue until we all come to such unity in our faith and knowledge of God's Son that we will be mature in the Lord, measuring up to the full and complete standard of Christ. Then we will no longer be immature like children, We won't be tossed and blown about by every wind of new teaching. We will not be influenced when people try to trick us with lies so clever they sound like the truth. Instead, we will speak the truth in love, growing in every way more and more like Christ, who is the head of his body, the church. He makes the whole body fit together perfectly. As each part does its own special work, it helps the other parts grow so that the whole body is healthy and growing and full of love. There was quite a, a fuss back in the, the homeland uh, this week, homeland for me, UK, because Her Majesty the Queen decided to get on Twitter. Did anyone see that news? And she, got, uh, she opened some exhibition somewhere, so she issued her very first tweet. I thought it was kind of thoughtful and cute of her to have her outfit matching the Twitter branding. I thought that was very nice of her, and uh, I was going to comment about that to her and then probably the next tweet would have been off with his head so that probably wouldn't have been such a good thing but you'll notice at the end of the tweet it says there Elizabeth R Elizabeth R and you might be thinking Elizabeth R I didn't know she had a last name well she she does she doesn't often use it it's Rogers and uh, she's Elizabeth Rogers and she's married to Mr. Rogers 
and they live in the neighborhood. <laughs> I'm kidding. Some of you guys, you're so cute. Some of you are writing that down. You're going, what? Can't wait to tell my friends. No, R, it means Regina, Regina, royal. She is saying, I may be tweeting, honey, but I am the queen. And don't you forget it, Elizabeth R. When the Apostle Paul begins this uh, part of his letter, he has a signing methodology, if you will. He, he has a way of describing himself, and it's as prisoner Paul. Therefore, I, a prisoner for serving the Lord. He's saying, hey, Ephesians, I paid a big price for this gospel. I paid a high price for you. I'm, uh, I'm under house arrest. I'm in chains. I'm on death row. And don't you forget it. I'm a prisoner of the Lord. And then he says, I've got a request. In fact, it's way more than a request. It's much stronger than that. Verse 1, he says, I beg you. It's a strong word in the Greek. I beg you. Because I'm a prisoner of the Lord, I'm going to make this request of you. I, I beg you. And then, if you want to summarize what he's pleading for, he says, be one, stay together, and be united. Let's, let's face it, as we think about unity, isn't it true, we've just got to be honest, that very often the Christian church has not done that great when it comes to unity, like unity between churches. We've not always modeled that terribly well. Uh, this time next weekend I'm going to be in Jerusalem and I'm going to return again to the Church of the Holy Sepulchre. The Church of the Holy Sepulchre is the place where allegedly that's in that area where Jesus was crucified, where the empty tomb is supposed to be in that area too. And whenever I go there I feel mildly depressed. And let me tell you why, because as you go into the Church of the Holy Sepulchre, above the main entrance there is this balcony, and on that balcony there is a ladder. That ladder has been on that balcony for over 170 years. They have, they have lithographs with, with drawings of the balcony with the ladder on it. What's with the janitor? How come they haven't put the ladder away? What's, what's that about? Let me tell you what it's about. There are six different Christian groups that operate in the church of the Holy Sepulchre, and they are fiercely territorial. They don't just have fusses, they have fights slapping each other over the head with candlesticks, which is not terribly becoming. It's a place of conflict. It is as if someone is saying, you can't touch that ladder. The reason for it is if you go on the balcony, you're claiming it as territory. If you take the ladder, you are taking the holy ladder. You touch the ladder, I break your face. We haven't always done so well, have we, with unity between churches. And we don't always do so well as at unity within churches. I thank God for the unity that we enjoy here. But some folks only go to a church long enough to get offended. And then something irritates them. And then mysteriously the Lord who led them to this church mysteriously tells them to go to that church. And I've often said it here at uh, Timberline, if you've been part of Timberline for more than six months and nothing about us has irritated you yet, you're probably clinically dead. <laughs> Some people just stick around long enough to get offended. So the Apostle Paul is saying, hey, I'm a prisoner of the Lord. Now be united. But what does that actually really look like? What can we, what can we learn 
as we spend this next three hours together. Just kidding. It's just amazing how one sentence can bring such fear and trembling. By the way, at the end of this service, we're going to be praying for those who are sick, who are unwell. You might say, Jeff, what's unity got to do with healing? We thought you were going to, we thought you were going to bring out one of those healing sermons where you, where you shouted a lot and you said, in the name of Jesus, and all that, you know, that kind of methodology. No, actually, unity's got a lot to do with healing because where we dwell together in unity, there the Lord commands the blessing. How many like me want to be on the real estate where the Lord commands the blessing? And unity is a component of that. So let's take a look. Number one, if you're following in the bulletin. Unity, it's a gift, but we need to maintain it. Unity, it's a gift, but we need to maintain it. Verse 3. Make every effort to keep yourselves united in the Spirit, binding yourselves together with peace. I've been a pastor now for 38 years. Planted a church when I was 19, and we had half a dozen people start that church with us. I was dating a girl called Kay. She's now my wife. And we started with half a dozen people. And then we went out and knocked on people's doors for six weeks, inviting them to our church. I hated it. You ever done that? It's horrible. You know, you, but I'd go up to the door and I'd pray that no one would be in. It's kind of freaky. And the church grew and we got to 40 or 50 and then 100 and a couple of hundred. We built a building and planted another church. And things were going really well. And one day... A lady came to me and she said, Pastor Jeff, let me tell you, this church is not loving enough. Well, oh, okay. I mean, how do you, how do you respond to that? You can't measure. You, I can't plug in a loveometer. And just, well, let, let's just quantify that, shall we? Oh, no, we're 8.75. We're doing pretty good. She, I said, you're probably right. You're probably, I said, what do you want me to do about it? Because she had the expectation that I, as the pastor, had the lovey-dovey dust. Lovey-dovey dust. And on Sunday morning, maybe I could get everyone to bow their heads and I could scatter the lovey-dovey dust. And they'd all wake up and start hugging each other and singing Kumbaya mysteriously. Ladies and gentlemen, the truth is that we are all called, every one of us, to defend unity. We've got it. We are given it as a gift, the unity of the Spirit. But we are called to defend it. There's nothing casual about this. The Apostle Paul uses language like we are sentries in battle guarding something very, very precious. A defender. I've been learning recently. I've often said that I don't understand football. By the way, Wembley Stadium, London today, they've got an NFL game happening in Wembley Stadium in London. I don't know what's happening to my country. It's just astonishing. So because of that, I thought, somebody got me football for dummies. Football for dummies. But I can't understand this. I need football for real dummies. You know, I, I need another version. But I've been reading this, and it says, if you're a defender, it's a good idea to be 300 pounds. Now, that is a training program I want to go on. Have me another cheeseburger, honey. No pain, no gain. You know, I, I, I want to do that. I, I want to tell you this, and I don't know anything about the sport, and I don't, I don't know when the Broncos are playing again, and I don't care because I'm godly and I read the Bible, but I know. <laughs> just kidding. Just kidding. Just kidding. Stop you going. 
Look at you. I know this. When those defenders line up, okay, the defenders, and they're facing the other dudes, what, what are they called? The, the offenders? <laughs> this is logical, isn't it? Defenders, offenders. Okay. The offense. <laughs> Sorry, I'm in a really naughty mood today. <laughs> the defenders are not going to say to the offense, they're not going to say, now listen up, chaps. If any one of you gentlemen plan on coming through this line with that rather strangely shaped ball, you do have to be aware that it's just a possibility that we might attempt to trip you up. So watch out. No. When someone shouts out, for whatever reason, I don't know, Omaha. <laughs> what? Why can't he mix it up and yell Loveland once in a while? Someone shouts out, Omaha. Boom. Those boys are in. They are, they are all in. It's this 300 pound of solid something, just really defending the territory. The Apostle Paul is saying, God, unity like that. It's present continuous tense in the Greek. It means you don't just do one play. Imagine that. You know, you've got a game and there's one defensive play and then the defensive player says, well, that's it, we're done. Let's go have coffee. It's a continuous defense that we play for our unity. Is there repair that we need to bring in a relationship in the church? Do we need to, do we have to sort something out? By the way, be careful about that. I've occasionally preached and I've said, you know, if there's someone that you need to, who's upset you and you need to go and make it right, go and make it right at the end of the service. That's a bad idea because you have some people with a line of like 35 people who are lining up. So, in fact, they get one of those little number things from the grocery store. They, number 33, please. Be careful about that. Do we need to defend our marriages a bit more, our friendships, and guard our unity? Secondly, number two, live worthy of your calling. Live worthy of your calling. Verse 1, lead a life worthy of your calling, for you have been called by God. This is not vocational calling. This is gospel calling. And the language that the Apostle Paul uses is it's like, it's like a military summons rather than a command. Come on, everybody. Paul is saying, come on. He's inviting people. He's not hammering them down. He's lifting them up into the dignity of their gospel calling. He's saying, come on, live like Christians. Live worthy of your calling. The word... Worthy here, axios, it refers to a balancing something on scales. He's saying just as on this side of the scale you've got your calling as a Christian, now balance that with the way that you live. Simple question. Are, are we living out there in a way that balances our calling? That is consistent with the fact that we're gospel people. Thirdly, be realistic. Be realistic. Idealism doesn't build unity. Be realistic. Idealism doesn't build unity. Verse 2. Always be humble and gentle. Be patient with each other, making allowance for each other's faults because of your love. Now, Paul is calling the Ephesians and he's calling us to two attitudes. Firstly, 
He's saying, have the right attitude to yourself. Having the right attitude to ourself, an attitude of humility. Did you know that humility was despised in the ancient world? The Romans despised, the Greeks despised the idea. They thought that only slaves were supposed to be humble. And then Jesus came and he humbled himself. And he took a towel and he acted like a servant and he set a little child among them. You see, humility is an attitude and then gentleness is the action that comes from humility. Meekness is not weakness. Humility is strength under control. There's nothing spineless or timid about it. Paul is saying, be humble. And then he's also calling us to take a right attitude to others and be real. Have our eyes, that was scary when that just came up, have our eyes wide open to the reality of what fellowship is like. I think some people think that the church is full of perfect people and then they get disappointed. They haven't got their eyes open. We're coming up to that time of the year when we're going to get those Christmas newsletters from those perfect Christian families. How utterly nauseating I find those to be. There's a photograph of the perfect Christian family. There's mum smiling. There's dad smiling. The children are smiling. The pet boa constrictor is smiling. And then you read the newsletter and oh, how you despair for their children their three children between them play 274 musical instruments. And little Jimmy, age two, bless him, he's now fluent in Hebrew. And Jane, age five, she's away at medical school training for the mission field. It's just remarkable. And then you look around at your family. The church is not full of Christmas newsletter perfect people. And it's not full of hypocrites either. Sometimes people point the finger at the church. They say, oh, you're a bunch of hypocrites. Excuse me. We're the ones who said we were sinners. We never advertise ourselves differently. We start this whole Christian journey with that recognition. But the truth is we need to have our eyes open because we can do stupid things. We can upset each other. We can be irritating. Stop nudging each other as I say that. The biblical metaphor for us is sheep. Sheep. Now, sheep aren't that bright, are they? You might go to Sea World, but you're not going to go to Sheep World, are you? Actually, I was in New Zealand a few weeks ago and I said that. I said, You're not going to go to Sheep World, are you? And they all went, Yeah! awkward the biblical metaphor is that we can be like sheep and we can upset each other that's why the apostle is saying be patient the word means long tempered we're people under construction let's be realistic what happens is that People get mad and then they go somewhere else and then they get mad there. And the trouble is they've forgotten that when they go somewhere else, they take them with them. Number four, remember whose church it is. Remember whose church it is. For there is one body, verse 4, and one spirit. And then verse 8, when he ascended to the heights, he led a crowd of captives and gave gifts to his people. What's all that about? Well, a first century Jew would have immediately recognized that Peter, uh, that Paul, excuse me, is borrowing 
a story from the Old Testament and using it as an image. When Moses led the children of Israel out of Egypt, he then went up the mountain, had a conversation with God, came down the mountain with the law. Paul is borrowing that metaphor and he's saying Jesus has descended. He's come down to the lowliness of where we are and he's come among us. He has ascended to the Father. He's gone up the mountain, if you will, and then he has come back down the mountain through the Holy Spirit living and working in us and through his church. He is saying the church belongs to Jesus, not us. Every now and again, I think we forget that. We say, it's my church. It's his church. Once in a while, I notice as I, I travel around, it uh, doesn't happen here at Timberline, maybe because it's pretty big, but particularly if you go to smaller churches, what can happen, and it's just it's more noticeable, there are people in the congregation who are what I call barons. They're, they're kind of power players. They're not necessarily leaders. Most of the time, they're not. But, but people are really rate their opinion and people follow them in what they do so i get up and i'm preaching and i you know I, you know i like occasional humor fun before death is a good idea so i i i get up and i and i say something amusing and and, and people smile or laugh and then the baron looks irritated You can see he's irritated at 500 yards. And he starts making horsey noises. <laughs> sorry, that just... Sorry about that. But here's what's happening. People are looking over at the baron. They're watching what the baron's doing. And if the baron's doing... Then they start going... There's a lot of spit in the house. I mean, it is ugly. It's barren. There's another type of person in a church. Uh, when the Queen sent out the tweet yesterday, sad to tell you this, some trolls showed up, internet trolls, and start, started tweeting abusive messages. How many of you know what an internet troll is? Raise your hand if you know what an internet troll is. About a third of you. How many of you never raise your hand, whatever the question is that the preacher asks? <laughs> What's that about? Some of you go, I will not raise my hand. This is America. Don't you British people come over here and tell us what we should do with our gesticulations. A troll, an internet troll is someone who, start, who deliberately and aggressively wants to start a fight on the internet posts inflammatory, hurtful comments. The more people they upset, they have a gluttonous appetite for hurting people I, I, I want to just let me just pull up a chair and be a pastor you know sometimes I meet trolls in church they love it when there's trouble and everywhere they go whichever church they go to there's always trouble there's always this mysterious and they think that they're the ones exposing it but actually they're the ones catalyzing it trolls let's be careful with the bride of christ and remember whose church it is i'm pretty sure we haven't got any trolls here i mean it but can i just say if you think that that might 
apply, why not come and have a little chat? It's big. Number five, get off the chair, number five. Cut out the comma and play your part. Cut out the comma and play your part. What's that about? Let me explain. Verse 12. Leaders, their responsibility is to equip God's people to do his work and build up the church, the body of Christ. Now, it's amazing what a comma can do. If you miss out a comma, it changes the meaning of the sentence. If you add a comma where it shouldn't be, it changes the meaning of the sentence. For example, let's check out this magazine. Uh, let's go back to the magazine, if we could. Uh, Rachel Ray, there she is. And we read there that Rachel Ray, <laughs> she finds inspiration in cooking her family and her dog. <laughs> I am not coming over for dinner, Rachel. <laughs> Do you see what's happening? See, they missed out the commas. She actually loves, she finds inspiration in cooking, comma, her family, comma, and her dog. The punctuation changes the sentence, okay? Now let's see what happens when you put a comma in where it shouldn't be. And by the way, commas were not invented until 200 years after Christ, and they were not used in Greek texts. So let's have a look at the King James Version here. And he gave some apostles and some prophets and some evangelists and some pastors and teachers. What did God give those for? Well, look at this. And I've highlighted what they call the fateful comma. For the perfecting of the saints, comma. For the work of the ministry, comma. For the edifying of the body of Christ. You get the idea from that. That comma has sowed a deception throughout centuries that pastors and teachers that basically they're around for three things, to develop the saints, the people of God, to do the work of the ministry. We, all, we, we even call it being called into the ministry and edifying of the body of Christ. That comma has made it sound like we're the ones who do the ministry. Take the comma out. Now have a look again. Let's go back. Uh, let's go to the next. And he gave some apostles and some prophets and some evangelists and some pastors and teachers... For the perfecting of the saints for the work of the ministry. For the edifying of the body of Christ. In other words, it's not supposed to be that certain people do all the kingdom stuff. But our role is to equip the people of God for the work of the ministry. You may not have known this, but you're a minister in the sense of this text when you take that comma out. And I've discovered that very often people are more committed to unity when they roll up their sleeves and they get really involved and serve both within the church and beyond it. Number six, number six, speak the truth in love and grow up to be like Christ. Speak the truth in love and grow up to be like Christ. Look at verse 14. Then we will no longer be immature like children. Verse 15, instead we will speak the truth in love, growing in every way more and more like Christ. Literally, Paul is saying here, please practice truthing. Truthing, that's what the Greek word means. A bit scary, isn't it, when someone comes up to you and they say, right, 
I'm going to speak the truth in love now. That's a good time to find a nuclear fallout shelter or buy yourself a crash helmet. But the truth is, if we don't speak the truth in love, we don't speak the truth. You ever met people, they just love to be blunt. They're proud of being blunt. I was going to speak in Holland a few years ago, and a Dutch lady, having heard that I was going there, she said, you know, Jeff, you need to be prepared if you go to Holland, because in Holland we speak straightly. If we think you're ugly, <laughs> we'll tell you that we think you're ugly. I said, oh, really? I said, that's, that's never happened to me. She said, so you have not been to Holland yet then. <laughs> Don't just be one of those people who just, I just got to say it. Because sometimes the truth is warped by the attitude with which it's spoken. Speak the truth in love and then grow up, Paul says. You know, some adults are babies dressed in adult clothing. Like that. I heard of one ch church that split. They started one side of the church to try to take the other side to the courts to get the others out of the building. Do you know how that fight started? They had a church, this is true, they had a church potluck. And there was a man in the church, he got his, his plate with his ham and his potatoes and green beans and stuff, sat down at a table, and a little boy came and sat down next to him. And this gentleman noticed that the small boy... <coughs> I mean, prepare yourself, this is traumatic. If you're of a nervous disposition, leave now. This is ugly. Some of you might want to hold hands as I just share this. The little boy had more ham on his plate than the man. He said, he's got more ham! Oh. <coughs> and I just, I want to find that man and grab him by the ears and say, grow up, grow up, grow up. He who has ears to hear, let him hear. Grow up. And that's exactly what the Apostle Paul says here. Hey, he's a prisoner for Jesus. He's got the right to say it. And he's saying, be united. You've got it. Now keep it. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for this remarkable letter from this remarkable man. We thank you for this, this pleading of his, this begging. As he celebrates the gift of unity, it calls us to maintain it. Help us, help us to go all out, to work hard, to pile in, to defend unity. Help us to live in a way that balances our calling with a life that is worthy, worthy of your name. Help us to be realistic. We don't want to be, we want to be hopeful, but we don't want to be naively idealistic and thus disappointed. We affirm today that this is your church. 
Your church is your church. Save us from spectatorism. Help us to take the comma out. Play our part. Whenever we find ourselves in a place of having to speak truth, help us to know, Lord, that the truth dies when it's spoken in a way that is not loving. Help us to grow up. For any of us, Lord, who find ourselves, as it's hard to pray this, but we find that we're edging towards being a barren, or God forbid, even a troll, know there's a pattern in our lives that wherever we go there's trouble pray that God whatever the reasons are for that that you'll break us out of that so help us we pray in Jesus name everyone said and so Father with those words and that truth resonating in our hearts we go now into a new week you are stronger and we give you praise in Jesus name everyone said hey our prayer team are going to be here um, and we'd love to still continue to pray with you if you would like God bless you have a great weekend